now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Peter Whitley, National Director and Researcher for the Mutual UFO Network of Japan. Today we're going to talk about his own experiences as well as what's going on in the UFO world in Japan. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Jeff. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Yes. All right. Well, how did an American guy wind up being in Japan and becoming director of the Mutual UFO Network? That's a good question, Jeff. Um, Shortly out of university, I took a trip to Japan, Um, really enjoyed myself here. Went back to the States um, to go into counseling, which is what I went to university for. I found myself spending every vacation back here in Japan. And after about five years of that, I thought, you know what? I think I probably would like to live in Japan. And so I just dove right in, moved on over here. And that was about 14 years ago now. Hmm. Been here for 14 years. Um, My involvement with MUFON began, I took a, what they call is um, an experience or survey. I've had three, um, I would call them abductions, not to say they were net negative, but I didn't ask to be taken, um, you know, quote, alien abductions in my life. And I took a survey uh, they have online of experiencers. Um, one of the directors got back to me and said, you know, hey, Pete, um, we could use someone in Japan. Would you be interested in joining and helping us out? And so I did. I joined, uh, became the national director uh, shortly after that. And I'm now a member of the Experience Resource Team, where we, um, you know, investigate and help those that have had experiences and contacts with extraterrestrial or yeah, other intelligences. All right. Well, before we get into your experiences, can you update us on the news of what's going on in the UFO world in Japan? Absolutely. Currently, I think probably like as in most of the world, um, the UFO scene in Japan is primarily focused on what's going on in America. Um, after the revelations of the Tic Tac videos and you know the Pentagon admissions and things that are going on there, Most of the UFO news here is focused on that. Um, We do have a history of sightings here in Japan. Um, The UFO community is fairly active. Um, People are relatively open to the idea of UFOs here. Um, In terms of our sightings, we we don't have, like, there's no Japanese Roswell, if you will. Um, we do have some notable historical sightings. Um, there was something called the Kara incident in 1972, where nine young boys actually found a UFO in a field. And it kept mysteriously disappearing until eventually one day it disappeared for good. Um, in 1975, there's another famous incident called the Kofu incident where two boys found a a landed UFO, um, saw an entity, um, 
a door opened up, they went inside, looked around. Both of those incidents had um, related people um, in the neighborhood that witnessed the, either the UFO or motion in the sky. So they were kind of backed up by some things. Um, in terms of more modern history, I'd say the thing that interests me the most is um, in the wake of the Fukushima disaster in 2011, there was a wave of um, sightings and videos of UFOs that were purportedly taken uh, near the near the reactor. Um, Fukushima on its own has a long history of sightings. Um, and I think maybe many of your viewers know that UFOs seem to have an interest in um, nuclear reactors, nuclear weapons, and so on and so forth. So that that aspect of uh, Japanese ufology is quite interesting to me at the moment. Yeah, but that's about where we're at. I think I've seen some report at one time about UFOs flying around Mount Fuji or something. Yes, absolutely. There have been there have been several. There have been several. There are some photographs of UFOs around Mount Fuji as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What about the Japanese culture in general? Are they believers of UFOs? Non-believers? You know, I I'm very open about my beliefs in um, UFOs and um, visitors. Um, and of course, as the representative from MUFON here in Japan, I do my best to promote the organization. People are very, very open to it. Um, I, I almost can't, couldn't tell you of an incident where anyone ever called me crazy. Whereas in America, I think people, I would say, <laughs> often I was called crazy when I told them about my experiences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. However, I would say that there may be a reluctance in some people here to um, to talk about their own sightings. I'm in no position to speak for the Japanese. And so I can't say if that's a product of less personal sightings and contacts or a, or, um, a product of cultural um, influences. Yeah. But yeah, a little less reluctant to, um, or at least I hear less from people here about oh. them seeing one. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, you've said you've been abducted. So let's talk about that. What happened? Yeah. Um, I grew up in the rural Pacific Northwest. Um, the first incident I had was when I was 17. And... Um, a blue light came into my room in the middle of the night. I was not sleeping yet. Um, it triangulated at my position in the bed. Um, and what followed was what's relatively a fairly common abduction scenario from what I've come to find out. Um, two small graves, as we would call them, materialized there. Um, and of course, I was terrified, and I attempted to jump out of the bed, and I was frozen, quite literally in midair, by these entities. Um, they proceeded to take me through the window, um, and at that point, that my memory of that incident ends. Yeah, 
um, about six months later, when I was 18, I um, had another conscious abduction. Um, during that experience, um, I was laid down on some sort of a table um, inside what I presume was a UFO. I did not see the outside of the ship. And a taller gray entity was to my right. And um, he had a long metallic instrument of some sort, maybe about 12 inches long. And he communicated to me uh, telepathically that he was going to insert it into my ear and that it wouldn't hurt. Um, he did so. Um, it did not hurt. Um, again, I was terrified, but I was, you know, paralyzed or unable to move or anything like that. After that was um, inserted into my ear, my memory of that incident ends. Um, I have gone back, actually, and had regressive hypnosis for those two incidents to see if I could uncover any more um, relevant details. And, well, I could... I was able to find out, for instance, what I ate for breakfast the following morning, <laughs> um, specific details about my life at the time. The events were too traumatic to um, re-experience via regressive hypnosis. So I didn't learn any more than I consciously recalled. Um, my third conscious um, experience happened just about seven years ago. Um, I was on a visit um, back in rural Washington to my parents' house over the holidays with my nearly one-year-old son. Um, the two of us were transported onto a UFO. Um, and this was an, a rather odd incident and it contains some elements that I don't frequently see in abduction literature. Um, my infant son was seated across from me, directly across from me, um, and at eye level. To my right and his left was another tall gray. In between us was a circular ball, if you will, um, which appeared to be filled with some sort of gas or liquid. It was purple and swirling. Um, this gray, again, telepathically, um, told me to the effect, um, if you agree to this, you and he will understand each other's souls. And I had absolutely no idea what that meant <laughs> whatsoever. And um, I was in no position to really agree or disagree <laughs> in, from my point of view. But after he said that, um, there was some interaction between him and the ball. I do not believe it was physical, but I could sense there was an interaction. Immediately after that interaction, the two of us were transported from above Earth orbit back into my parents' house. And it happened in a split second. But I can specifically recall 
the process of us flying down. And when we arrived back in my parents' house, what was rather odd and consistent with the encounter is that my infant son was sitting on my lap for some reason. And he was wide awake, smiling. And, um, you know, of course, I had immediate recall of what had happened. So I just put him back to bed and that was that. Yeah. Those are the three conscious experiences I've had. Does your son have any special abilities or any recollection of any of this? Um, I, I wouldn't say he has any special abilities whatsoever, except perhaps maybe he's bilingual. Um, he, an interesting thing did happen, though, when he was about three years old. Um, I was scrolling on my phone through pictures of some grays. Um, for some research I was doing. And he was sitting next to me. And he's three years old, just, you know, beginning to talk. Um, And he said to the effect, he said, "Um, it's an alien. And now, although I'm, you know, in my personal life, I'm enmeshed in this, um, my wife honestly hates hates the hates to talk about it. So it's nothing we talk about at home. I don't have pictures of greys or aliens around the house, etc. It's just books I read, research I do. And I said, I said, it is. How do you know that? He didn't answer that. But he said, Daddy saw an alien. And I said, Yes, I did. And he said, he pointed to the picture on the phone. He said, It's not a real alien, but daddy was scared to see the real alien. And I thought that was interesting because I really doubt that he had any exposure to that at that age. It's possible, but yeah, that's the extent as far as I know. Yeah. He doesn't show any particular interest in the subject. It doesn't sound like the aliens have followed you over to Japan. No, it does not. It does not. Um, There are, when you begin to research abductions um, or encounters, if you will, um, there are a lot of um, associated events that occur with people. Um, Some people don't have conscious recall of their encounters. Um, But they do have odd events that have happened. For instance, they might have periods of missing time or they may um, see a UFO and then experience missing time. Odd things like that. Um, In America, when I still lived there, um, after the encounter when I was 18, I did experience periods of missing time, which were verified by people, you know, I would be traveling somewhere and they'd say, you know, you left at 7.30, you should have been here an hour ago. Um, I once saw a UFO hovering in a field and I drove my car into the field to look at it. Um, But the next thing I recall is I woke up back at home. Um, I don't call those conscious memories of 
contact because I have no conscious memory of contact. But yeah, I feel that perhaps uh, the con- my contact I've had has been strictly in America. Do you have any memory of what the ship looked like on the inside? Oh, on the inside, yes, um, quite clearly. Um, both when I was 18 and roughly seven years ago, the ship, um, firstly, there is a diffuse white light, slightly hazy, with no, um, no visible source that surrounds everything. You don't see any light fixtures, anything like that. But there's this, just a diffuse white light, slightly hazy. Everything on the ship um, is slightly off-white and appears to be molded of plastic. Um, I wouldn't say, I would make no claims that it is plastic. I have no idea what it is made out of. But everything appears to be made out of some just white material. Was there like a control center or a cockpit or something to control the ship? Um, During my conscious abductions, I did not see anything like that. Um, During my astral projection experiences, though I've had this year, I have seen those things, yes. Do you think greys are actual entities, sentient beings, or do you think that there are biological robots? Precisely that, Jeff. In fact, um, so let me preface this by saying um, this year I've conducted exactly 40 astral projection sessions um, with the um, express intent of visiting a UFO successful sessions i've had some some failures um and that was that's exactly what i was told by the grays that they are basically biological robots um and that their purpose is in assisting the development um of our souls now When I say development and when I say souls, um, I'm strictly using, you know, the terms we use in English. Um, All communication, you know, both consciously and on the astral plane that I've had with them, it's done telepathically. And it's not done via words. It's it's communicated via ideas, right? And so I guess maybe that's just the closest analogy I could put it. Yeah. Um, they also revealed to me during, um, one of the early astral projection sessions that I had, um, I asked them, you know, I said, you know, well, if you help develop our souls, do we ever develop into one of you? And rather the, this gray was rather amused. The interesting thing is they they exhibit personalities, uh, perhaps a bit muted um, in terms of uh, relative to human personalities, but they do exhibit personalities. And this Graham was a bit amused. And he said, no, we don't have souls. He said, we were created, you know, we're what you would consider biological, but we were created um, to assist entities that have souls. 
um, the implication there being um, that it's not just humans, mm. that there are presumably other entities throughout our universe with souls. How are you astral projecting to communicate <laughs> with them? Are you like meditating or what? Uh, that's a great question. That's a great question. So for about 20 years, I've been practicing um, self-hypnosis and audio-guided hypnosis. Um, if you had asked me two years ago if I believed in astral projection, I probably would have laughed at you. And I would have said, no, I'm interested. You know, I believe in UFOs. I believe in extraterrestrials. But I'm interested in the nuts and bolts of the phenomenon. I'm not interested in these more esoteric practices. But what happened was after 20 years of um, near daily uh, self-hypnosis, I became a bit bored with my routine. So I decided to see what other types of uh, hypnotic or inductions were out there. I tried meditation before and for whatever reason, meditation just doesn't really sit well with me. I'm not a meditator. But what I found as I went deeper into um, the types of hypnosis that are out there is I found that there were um, sort of, there's a very popular, I don't want to endorse anyone, but there's a very popular program out there that kind of pioneered um, a combination of meditation and hypnosis to achieve an out-of-body experience. And I took that course. Um, I um, Not in person. They have an in-person institute, but you can purchase their materials. I took that course um, just in the hopes of spicing things up. You know, like I said, I was a bit bored with my regular... My regular hypnosis was, a, a, you know, self-confidence or... Um, motivation, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so I took that course. After taking that course, these days, what I do is more of a combination of hypnosis and the things I learned in that course. Um, I've recorded my own hypnotic induction. And from there, I begin the process of what they call the vibrational stage. Once I'm under hypnosis, I vibrate my body my astral body out of the physical body. Can you pretty much do this at will or is it kind of a spontaneous thing? Um, I need to, it's not spontaneous. I, I need to schedule a time to do it. For instance, during my lunch break, for example, I'm lucky enough to have a sofa, sofa at work where I, I conducted some of the sessions or at home laying on a bed, yeah. But um, I, I believe after so many years of practice with hypnosis, um, the process was quite easy for me. Actually, after I completed the course that I mentioned, I was able to astrally project um, pretty much every time I tried. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. I know you're not endorsing, but I and I'm sure other people would like to know what program are you using? The Monroe Institute's Gateway Experience. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I, I modified it a bit to my own personal use um, because I'm a bit more comfortable with the, tip, the uh, traditional hypnotic induction. 
but I use many of the, um, or most of the um, um, applications they use to physically or astrally exit your physical body at, towards the end of that. Yeah. So you've had 40 encounters with them. Yeah. How have you changed as a person with all these encounters? Um, <laughs> quite deeply. Um, like I said, even two years ago, I would have kind of laughed at the idea of astral projection. Um, additionally, I'm not a spiritual person. I um, I never have been. In fact, um, I didn't. I if you had asked me two years ago if there's such thing as a soul, I would have told you I'm uncertain. Um, but having had these experiences. Um, I do firmly believe that we humans have something which we call a soul. And I do firmly believe that there exists something after we leave our physical bodies, um, i.e. die. Of course, you can, I mean, you can leave your physical body through astral projection or other means. Yeah. But so that's deeply affected me. You know, of course, now I would... I hesitate to say I'm spiritual, but I believe in the soul. Can you share with us some of the profound things that you've learned from them? Certainly, certainly. Um, let me t- kind of take you through um, the initial stages of when I began astrally projecting there. Um, after I completed the gateway experience and learned that I was able to astrally project, my first thought was, I want to do this in contact, um, contact the UFO, contact um, whoever, whatever is behind this. Um, and so the first time I tried to do that, you know, with the intent of doing that, I was successful. However, the first roughly six or seven times, what ha- would happen is I would enter a UFO. Now, the process of leaving the body and entering the UFO is not as straightforward as you fly up into the sky, you see the UFO, and you enter. It's more of a process of your intent is to go there. You're at, you're out of your body astrally. You're aware your body is there below you. Your intention is to go there. And you more or less instantaneously zip up there. So roughly the first half dozen times when I arrived, um, I was placed in front of a window with a very bright light. And um, it was almost blinding. And I I asked, of course, that first time, you know, is there anyone there, you know? Um, And I was just told, you have to wait. So there was a waiting process involved of a few minutes. And that happened for the first half a dozen times. Yeah. So when I first um, was eventually let in, the first thing they showed me was what we know as, know as the hybridization process. I was shown a nursery. And there was what appeared to be a human baby in there. And what appeared to be three human nurses um, with the baby um, sort of tickling him or something to that effect. 
And there was a gray with me as my guide. And the gray asked me, would you like to hold, hold the baby? And I, you know, I, I would say, is that possible? <laughs> because I'm in an astral form. Apparently it was possible. As I went to hold the baby, what I realized is that these three nurses that I thought I saw were actually grays themselves. But there was sort of a hologram, if you will, over them. And this became a constant throughout my experiences. They tried to disguise the environment in a way that so we can have some familiarity with what that environment is. So whereas what I thought was a nursery, when I realized these weren't actually human nurses, I asked the gray that was my guide, I said, could you please show me what this place looks like in reality? And um, the gray did so. And it turned out it was basically, like I mentioned before, just a white environment with some vague plastic type, you know, furniture, if you will, or moldings in the wall. Yeah. So this is common. This is common. Now, after that, what I was shown by the greys um, is they began to show me what they do with our souls. Um, I was taken to, on, a, on one of my, probably the first half dozen experiences, I was taken to what looked like a laboratory. Of course, this is, you know, like I said, it's disguised as a laboratory. And from that point on, I would always tell them, please show me how it really appears. I, this, this artifice, it, it's distracting to me. Um, and so, of course, it was another just strange white thing. There was a tall gray there with a capsule of some sort at a, at a white table manipulating something in a capsule. And I asked my guide, what is inside that capsule? And my guide said, you are. But the, but he didn't, the guide didn't mean me personally. Um, the implication was, you know, humanity is. Um, this gray, again, had a similar long metal appearing rod and was doing something to this capsule. And I, I asked, is he adding something to this capsule? Is he, what is he doing there? And I said, well, adding's not the correct way to think about it. He's manipulating it to help it to evolve. And when he was finished with the capsule, the capsule kind of shot out of the area he's working with and another capsule arrived. Yeah. And so that seems to be their involvement with our souls. Now, many times, I should say that when I'm up there, um, it's not usually a matter of me saying, hey, can you take me to show me the laboratory? Can you take me, can you show me what you do with the souls? 
they clearly have an agenda. They clearly have something they want you to, to show you. And many times I would, I would ask questions and they would kind of hand wave it away. Say, you know, to the implication being, I probably wouldn't understand. So for instance, when I asked, where does this capsule containing what apparently is a soul, where is it going? They said, don't worry about that. The question isn't where, the question is why. Um, furthermore, at a later session, it also led me to ask, well, what about, quote, bad souls, like murderers and the like? You know, what happens to those? And they said, they said, again, don't think of it in the terms of bad. Think of it in the terms of underdeveloped. Which further led me to ask, well, if you realize there is this soul inhabiting a human body here on earth that murders someone, why don't you do something about it? You know, like I, I, I believe in my mind, I was thinking like, we, we have serial killers here. Why don't you stop that? And they told me, you know, that's not our job. Our job isn't to stop that. Our, do- our job is to help them evolve. Yeah. Mm. So that's basically what the greys themselves uh, appear to be doing. Now, when you held that hybrid baby, did it look human or did it look half human, half gray? That hybrid baby, to me, looked 100% human. Um, I will say when the nurses were handling it, it was floating. They weren't necessarily holding it. It was floating. At a later date, I was also shown a hybrid baby. Um, It looked to be the same baby, but... I mean, at a certain infant stage, um, all babies kind of look the same, more or less. So I couldn't say for certain. Do you think greys are friendly towards us? That's an interesting question, Jeff. Um, I think, first I should say, I can only tell you what they told me. Um, and the thing, the things that I've been shown and told there are so beyond the scope of what we understand to be real that um, it, it, they could be complete fabrications for all I know of, right? Um, they are, they were, the greys were very amicable to me. Um, they appeared friendly and they appeared to want to help me understand what they were doing. Um, I did mention that I had exactly 40 sessions, successful sessions with astral projection to UFOs. Um, the reason I stopped at 40 is because I experienced something that I wouldn't say it was frightening necessarily, but a bit uncomfortable um, in that I do believe 
the grays, if you look at it from the point of view as we have souls and that implies we have some depth of spirit or I'm not sure how you would say it, that they don't. Um, I believe they have some desire to feel what it's like to be human. Um, Towards the end of those 40 sessions, um, one of the greys began to experiment with what it would be like to inhabit my physical body here on Earth while I was astral projecting. So this is a bit hard to explain, but the process was that um, the gray looked deeply into my eyes and there was a, it felt as if we merged in a sense. And when you're in astral projection, you never lose the sense of your body. You're always aware your body's there. Someone could tap you on the shoulder and you'd wake up or you'd come back, right? In fact, you could count yourself down. If you find yourself in a frightened situation, you can count yourself down or have a safe word to eject. Um, But towards the end of those sessions, there were a couple of occasions where this particular Grace said, I'd like to try something. And like I said, he locked eyes with me. We merged and I found my astral body or perhaps I should say my astral consciousness inside his consciousness Mm. and his consciousness inside my physical body. So we're kind of, if you kind of think of the movie Inception, it's like we're kind of a couple layers deep there. Um, And I could tell that he was gaining an experience there of just what it's like to inhabit a human body. It was a very slow process that started from the head down. It didn't go all the way down. I never lost control of functions. There was no movement made, but it was a bit uncomfortable. That's the point I stopped. Um, I don't think that's necessarily malevolent, but um, I think you could say that there's, they're probably here to help us, but there may be things from us they also want. Well, he did ask. He did ask. That's true. And and I agreed. And I agreed. The preface to that is, before that incident happened, um, he also told me, this on a separate occasion, he said, I'd like to try something with you. And this was on the astral plane up on the ship, where he allowed me to enter solely his consciousness. And from my point of view, my experience of that, it was absolutely ecstatic. Um, I can't even put into words what I felt. I felt almost as if, 
I knew everything, or maybe just my knowledge has ex had expanded, not in any particular way, but it was ecstatic. And so I, I sort of assumed that perhaps to him, that's similar to what he felt when he inhabited my body, perhaps just the unique uniqueness of that probably gave him some sort, some sensory overload, which was interesting. Do you know what their program is of hybridization? I do not know what their program is of hybridization. Um, I, I sh I, let me say this. During the course of my, my 40 astral projection sessions on board UFOs, I met five distinct entities. Um, at least I believe they were distinct. Um, two smaller grays, one tall gray, and two mantis-type entities. Um, the reason I say they were distinct, um, beyond the small physical differences, is they all seem to have slightly unique personalities, as I mentioned before. They do have some form of a personality. Yeah. So one entity I briefly interacted with was an adult hybrid. Um, and this was probably 15 sessions in. And it was after my second interaction with the young hybrid. The um, adult hybrid joined me. And he, he appeared almost like a Ken doll. His skin was almost plastic or perfect, just perfectly featured, perfectly proportioned. I mean, it, he, he seemed inhuman in a perfect way, although he looked humanoid. Um, and I asked him about him himself. I said, you know, do you have a home? And again, he he was also kind of amused at this question. And he said, basically, um, I inhabit these ships, but I do have what you might call a home. And he gave me a vis visualization. Sometimes the way they communicate with you is they make you visualize things. It's almost as if you're in a complete VR simulation or more deeper than that, as if you're living it. And he showed me a glimpse of what looked to, it looked to me, this sounds odd, but it looked to me like a, almost like a 1950s parade, not necessarily in terms of technology, but maybe in terms of what you might see on TV, this idealized version of people partying, you know, in the streets happy or something. And he said, that's a representation of what you might call my home. Yeah. But beyond that, I don't really know what the purpose is. I did ask him if he ages beyond the age he is now. And he says, no, we grow up from 
babies to the age you see me now, but we don't age any further than that. When was your last astral projection? My last astral projection was in October. Um, I couldn't tell you the date right now. I don't have my entire journal in front of me. But my last astral projection was in October. I do feel, um, in fact, I'm certain that um, in 2022, I will resume the practice. Um, But I felt like after my interaction with the greys and the mantis type beings, which we can talk about, um, and then this slightly uncomfortable feeling, I felt like there was almost a chapter closed for me. To me, it felt like the culmination of things, and I wanted to take a break. I find it interesting that you were, I don't know if you said terrified or afraid when your actual abductions happened, that you were willing to go back and astral project and meet with them again. Such is the curiosity I have about this phenomenon, you know, like um, my first two conscious experiences were completely terrifying. Um, The experience I had roughly seven years ago was not terrifying with my son. It was confusing, but it wasn't terrifying. At that point, however, I had already um, begun researching the phenomenon in earnest. Um, And despite the fact that... um, yeah, some of those earlier experiences were quite scary. Um, just to me, once once I once I experienced it, I just want to know more. Mm-hmm. I want to know more. Why are they here? Why are they doing this? Even if the potential exists that it might be frightening or it might be uncomfortable, like it ended up being towards the end, um, I just want to know more. Right? It's just that curiosity. Can you tell us what you know about the mantis beings? Yeah. So during my inductions, um, what I do is I have a hypnotic induction that I use. Um, I think I'd like to clarify one thing about astral projection. And that's that I think uh, one of the mistakes people make and they fail to grasp about astral projection is that you're actually going within you. You know, people make the big mistake of thinking um, that's an entirely separate quote place you travel to. I believe it's more of a universal consciousness that you're accessing when you astrally project. And in that sense, we're able to communicate with the entities on board these ships. Um, Let me stop you there real quick. But when you do astral project, are you having an out-of-body experience where you can see your body, let's say, like from the ceiling or something? 100%. When I first leave my body, I can see my body from the ceiling. Um, I always take off my watch. I can see where I placed my watch. Sometimes I put my phone upside down, for instance, and I can see that the phone's upside down. Yeah. So I'm 100% in the room at the time when I leave my body. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but I do think you're accessing a universal consciousness when you do this. So when I first encountered the mantis-type entities, at the end of my induction, as I go deeper into my subconscious, usually I'm alone. However, the first time I encountered one of these mantis-type entities, there was something there. And I thought, this is really odd. There's something here with me. And then after I left my body and projected up there, I was with a mantis-type entity. And we were in... Now, this ship was quite different. It this is a, a ter- this is the this is the only analogy I can make. It looked like we were in some sort of Egyptian throne room. Things were brown. Um, now, the mantis entity told me that we needed to undergo a process in order to communicate. And I I said, oh, "Why aren't we communicating now?" He said, "No, we can communicate deeper." So for, I believe it was three or four sessions, he entered me into this, uh, like I alluded to before, some sort of strange VR type experience where just, I felt that just my brain was going a million miles an hour. And that went on for a few sessions before they actually conveyed any information to me. Um, After that happened, and apparently it was successful, they began to communicate to me. What the mantis type entity, the first one told me, was that they did indeed create these grays for that purpose. They said that they have a bigger agenda. Um, this mantis entity showed me a large crystal. It appeared to be in, encased in some sort of translucent case. Um, And he held some reverence for this crystal. And it was as if he wanted me to feel the reverence too. And quite honestly, I didn't. Um, And um, actually it bored me. I know it sounds odd. You're having this crazy experience, but you feel bored. But it it bored me. You know, after 20 minutes of this, staring at a crystal, I was bored. Um, At a later date, uh, the second mantis entity that I met with showed me something else. What he showed me was a truncated cone. Um, So what I'm talking about is if you can see the glass I'm holding near the cup, basically this upside down. And it was orange or tan in color. Um, And he said, this created everything. And so I said, you know, like everything like earth. He said, no, no, I don't mean everything like earth. He said, this create, this is why we're here. This created the reason we can, we're here. And this was all very confusing, but he elaborated to say that through this cone, I have no idea what it was. They were able to create the crystal and that crystal apparently powers their ship or something to that effect. I'm not sure. Also through that cone, they were able to create apparently a bunch of other technologies. 
And I asked them, did you make this cone? Is this something you made? And he said, oh, no, we didn't make it. We found it. And he imparted to me that they found it eons ago, like so long ago that my mind couldn't possibly comprehend. And I asked him, you know, well, do you know who made it? And he said, we have, well, we, we have an idea who made it, but don't worry about that right now. You know, again, the implication being I probably couldn't understand it. Um, he also gave me one of those visions where you, you know, like they sometimes impart information. And the idea was that when their species first encountered this cone, whatever it is, it was so powerful and they were so unable to deal with it. They would touch it and simply dissolve. So over millennia, millennia, they developed the ability to somehow use this cone to um, create interstellar vehicles or what have you, or eventually bring themselves to us. You've had some amazing experiences and I'm running out of time. Yes. But I want to support you. Do you have anything that you would like to promote? I do, I do not, Jeff. I, I'm not here to promote anything. If there's one thing I would like to ask your viewers, however, is that if there is anyone out there that astrally projects, if they themselves would like to also attempt to astrally project, to see these visitors, to please do so. And I would like to engage in a conversation with anyone else that's successful, okay? In my email, if you would put it in the show notes, mm -hmm. petewhitley at hotmail.com, anyone out there that has this ability, please try to do so. And if you're successful, contact me. Um, I know I've taken a lot of your time. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to get the story out. But there are many more details and some things I just simply don't want to talk about unless I can talk to someone else that has perhaps maybe experienced them themselves. Mm -hmm. I don't want to poison the well, so to speak. But yeah, if anyone out there is willing to do so, please contact me. So I guess you're saying that you have some experiences that you don't want to share unless it's a person who's also experienced it. Unfortunately, yes. I don't mean to be cagey, mm -hmm. but, you know, like at the beginning, like we mentioned, one of my roles is in the MUFON Experiencer Resource Team. And um, there are some of the things I said today that are not commonly found in literature, Mm -hmm. But there are other things I've experienced that are quite far out there. And I don't want anyone to hear this and conflate a story um, that might um, seem to um, match mine. Yeah. So just as a researcher, there's certain things I want to kind of clo hold ho close to my heart um, until I can get more information. Yeah, my apologies to you and your viewers, but I tried to be as open as possible. Yeah. Before we started, you mentioned to me that you were contacted by a producer from Netflix. 
you want to share anything about that or you want to wait until? No, I'd, I'd be happy to share. They're in the pre-production stages right now. Um, a production company is in the pre-production stages of a series focusing on UFO sightings around the world. Their intent is to do one episode um, from a different country, each episode from a different country. They deeply are deeply interested in doing an episode in Asia. I'm currently in the process of trying to help them find um, an appropriate sighting here in Japan, but their interest is not just limited to Japan. So again, if there are any other researchers out there in Asia who are interested or know of some sightings that might be of interest to this producer, Again, please contact me at the same email, petewhitley at hotmail.com. I'll be happy to put you in touch with that producer. Yeah, I'd love to see an episode get made here in Asia. We need some exposure. That'd be great. So overall, do you think communicating and encountering aliens is a positive experience? 100%. 100%. I think it's positive. Even if even if it's even if your only encounters are terrifying, even if my encounters had stopped at 17 or 18, even if they were terrifying, or even if I were to find out some unsettling truths about reality or the universe via these encounters, I think that's a positive. The closer we can get to the truth of our reality, of what it means to be human, of all of this, why are we here? That's positive, 100%. And I'd encourage anyone, anyone to, even if you haven't had an experience, um, do some research on your own, you know? Don't, don't take everything at face value, you know? Find what resonates with you. It's been an incredibly positive influence in my life, absolutely. All right, Peter. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us today. I really appreciate you, and I wish you the best. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Well, likewise, and have a great rest of your day over there. You too. You too. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara Podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.